Wherever you are on your leadership voyage, it starts here. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Leadership Voyage, the podcast dedicated to your pursuit of becoming a great leader. My name is Jason Wick, your host, and I am very happy to be here with another episode with a guest since uh, since April, where we have an actual live guest with you, other than myself. And uh, it's, it's a really nice discussion with Dr. Elise Cortez, who is the author of a recent book in March of 2023, called The Great Revitalization, which is a nice counter to The Great Resignation. Before we get into just a little bit more of a preview for this episode with Elise, please, as a reminder, you can contact me, Jason Wick, via email at startyourvoyage at gmail.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn, please. Um, You can find more out about the show at the website, leadership.voyage. In addition to that, if you are listening right now and you're enjoying the show, I would please encourage you to rate and review the episode. Rating the episode or the podcast only takes a few seconds. Go right back on your phone, find this podcast in your podcast player, and give it a rating wherever you are listening. A next step would be writing a review. That would be fantastic, but even just the rating would be great to help spread the word about the show. And we're having more listeners than ever before, which is really fantastic. So before I talk about the great revitalization, a quick reminder about Instacart. In the show's notes, there's a link to Instacart. I myself and a customer most recently here in the United States for Memorial Day weekend. We were having uh, having a friend over for Memorial Day and we woke up that morning and it was, okay, we need some groceries. And I went into my uh, Instacart account. It was great because at that point I had a $30 off coupon from having used it and uh, it counteracted all the delivery fees and uh, it, it was awesome. And the tip, the deliveries and the tip counteracted by this $30 off coupon. I loved it. For you, if you've not used it before, you can get free delivery on your first order, $35 or more. You can get your groceries in as fast as one hour. I encourage you to check it out. If you've not before, Instacart, I myself am a customer. So Elise Cortez, she's done a lot of research around people. She has a radio show working on purpose. And this book, The Great Revitalization, is some information about how people can help others tap into finding meaning in their work. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Elise. I know you will. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Leadership Voyage. I have the pleasure to be with Elise Cortez. Elise, it's great to meet you today. Thanks, Jason. You too. Great great to be on with you. Great to be on the other side of the mic. That's great. Awesome. And we'll talk about that a little bit along the way, I'm sure. Um, we're here to talk a little bit about um, your new book, uh, kind of new book, right? It's been a few months now, I suppose. Uh, the title of that book is The Great Revitalization. How Activating Meaning and Purpose Can Radically Enliven Your Business. And I'm really excited to talk about this with you and hear your thoughts. Before we do that, I wanted to read one of the little endorsements that's at the front of your book. 
Yeah, and this is Danny Barton, who's the chief of police. It says, the great resignation taught us that the workforce is searching for meaning and purpose in everything they do. The great revitalization is a brilliant guide to creating business and organizational cultures around purpose and meaning. This book is a valuable reminder of what organizations can be and what we want them to be. Elise Cortez brings her gusto to our hearts and then adds meaning to it. The Great Revitalization is a framework to help us and others achieve our authentic purpose. I recommend this book to everyone, regardless of your status in any organization. What do you think when you hear that? I love my friend, Danny. He's such a good soul. Um, really quick on that front. Um, yes, he's 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 got it. He's spot on right. What's amazing about Danny Barton, he's the chief of police of one of the suburbs here in Dallas. I met him several years ago at a workshop where we were both getting certified in um, a luminous spark. It's an assessment. And I found out that this man's whole purpose is to inculcate compassion, emotional intelligence, and empathy in the police force. Oh, that's beautiful. That is how this man and I connected. And he is a beautiful soul. So yes, his endorsement means a lot to me. That's wonderful. Thanks for adding all that context, especially uh, some of what we've been going through. Well, I suppose in the U.S. probably for decades, but specifically in the last few years, um, some of the discussions we've been having around police and their role in things. That's a really cool thing to hear about. Thanks for mentioning that. The Great Revitalization. What is the Great Revitalization? Well, I hope it's a, a, a wing and a prayer, right? I hope that it really is that lifting mechanism that in Re, reignites, refuels vitally your organization. And, and that's my, my so I got to give my publisher credit. I, it's my name, but the idea of adding a, a slicey bit of orange on the front cover was her idea. Um, and it, you know, so many businesses have just been like, oh my gosh, what the heck happened after this last few years here? My head is spinning. I don't know which, what is going on with the workforce. And so I'm meaning the great revitalization to be something like, you know, an energy infusion and a, a rocket ship to the top to be able to really enable them to come to the top of their game. So that's what I hope it is for, for people. No, that's, that's great. And, and, and seeing people and their kind of what's happened this last few years, is that what inspired the book or is it, is it more than that? Yeah, it's a little bit more than that. So, you know, as the pandemic started to unfold and we all were just like, you know, when this thing is done, you know, when March 2020 came around, and, you know, once this thing cycles through in a couple of weeks, we'll be doing this and this. And then it just right. kept going on. Right. It kept going on. Well, I kept like you, Jason, having all of these amazing conversations on my radio show working on purpose. And we were all reaching for solution and trying to understand and get our head around things. And so I was having these amazing conversations with leaders and thought leaders from around the world. And it was just amazing. It just kept going. And so what happens in the way that I host my show is because I generally bring on authors, I read their book cover to cover in preparation for the show. And then I prepare the questions and we converse over those questions. Over the course of the last few years, I just kept accumulating more and more research and ideas. And I just, and then I was having conversations with my clients and prospective clients, and they were all doing that same weird head scratch thing where they were like, I, I don't know what's going on here with people. Nobody seems to want to come to work. They don't want to, they don't want to perform. They don't want to stick around. I don't know what to do. What I I was, I was on, you know, the top list of best places to work a couple of years ago. What is this? You know? And so as I kept hearing that cacophony of, of voices and such, I kept the bubbling kept going. And, and I, I started to see that I really had a perspective on 
what on the workplace and what was happening here and what leaders needed because of all these conversations and in relation to the consulting that I was doing to help organizations develop their cultures. And so I felt like, gosh, I really think I have something to say here. This is the first book of the four that I've written that I really stood on. I really have something specific I'm trying to convey to you. This is important. Please read this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And thanks for that full explanation. I mean, that is a unique working on purpose, as you said, your radio show, um, really uh, unique opportunity to be able to talk to all of these folks and and accumulate all that information, as you you pointed out. Yeah. So the, the rate of change, right, in these last few years has been um, been pretty, ra- uh, pretty rapid. Do you think kind of the way that people's perspectives on their work has changed in the last few years is something that is a sudden rapid development if uh the, the was covid a catalyst for it like what's your take kind of on that whole situation what a yummy question jason <laughs> okay that's definitely chapter 2 urgency in the book um and what a, and the answer to all that is yes yes and yes i what i come to to believe jason that happened is COVID really was our our common world heart attack. And and it really, really opened people's eyes to a lot of things. You know, when the world literally stopped moving for that period of time, people had a chance to kind of get off the hamster wheel, sometimes forced, sometimes not. And, And I say in the book, and I really believe this to my heart, is that what happened was people took a lot of stock of their lives. Not only did were people getting, you know, the world didn't make sense anymore. They were getting sick. People they loved died. And it all kinds of things happen. And that, that causes people to really take stock of their life. And those kinds of really huge changes happen in life. People start to go, huh, wait a minute here. So I, I think that not only did a lot of people, well, first part of what was happening with the great resignation, people were largely in part quitting because they started to recognize that what they were doing wasn't worth their one precious life or their time. Mm. The commute, the screaming boss, the toxic work environment, the lack of meaning in the work. They're like, mm, not so much. So I think really partly what happened here, which is why I wanted to write this book too, is people couldn't make sense of just how much the world has changed in these last few years. And the big reason I wrote the book is I'm like, let me help you understand what happened. And so what I believe happened and transformed and why this is so confusing for people, especially employers, is that pre-COVID, the world existed around work. Everybody's whole life revolved around their work, their commute when they ate dinner, when or if they exercised, when or if they connected meaningfully with their family, um, when and if they saw their children's performances at school, all dictated by work. Now what's happened is people have said, uh, wait, um, let's, change, let's change that. And now what, what's happened is the workforce has spoken and what they want is they want work to revolve around their lives, to be a part of their, an integral part of their lives. So what they want is like this harmonious sort of flow between all the components of their life with their life being at the center now, not work. That is, I think, the major confusion that leaders are having. They don't want that. They want to go back to this time when they could dictate, you know, how work got done, where it got done, when it got done. And the workforce is saying, "Hmm, not so much. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting description that you're providing I, you've you've probably spoken to a lot more leaders than I have, but you know I don't know if it's uniquely American or Western or or not quite that at all. But you know this idea of work to live or live to work, and 
And I'm with you. I think you're right. A lot of the things around commuting, uh, fitting in around your meeting schedule, being having your butt in your seat for eight plus hours, all those requirements that aren't necessarily, I, I guess the way I would say it is, did we do we even know why those requirements existed in the first place? And the question I'd love to get more from you on, and maybe it's a hard one to answer, but you said in some ways the, I hate to characterize it as a power imbalance or a power thing, but managers and bosses have the power, I suppose, in a lot of these cases. And, and you said something like, why can't we just get things back to the way they were, right? Because one thing that I think we forget a lot is that managers and leaders are people too. <laughs> and so I would love to ask you, pick your brain, why do you think we want, we leaders, business leaders, et cetera, why do we want things to go back to the way they were as opposed to evolve with these kind of new epiphanies? Yeah, well, first you're right. Leaders and managers are absolutely people too. And I'm out to help those people. So why do they want to go back? Because it was much more convenient for them the way it was before. Everything was at their beck and call. And, and, and the big reason I think that we were so wed to the notion of, you know, work gets done when we staple a derriere into the seat on Monday at 8 or 8.30 and they, we let them go at Friday at 5.30 is because we were, we were driven by the notion of presenteeism. I only believe you're working if I can see you. And what I, what what now has we've moved to, and this is where I think the opportunity is. It's also the big confusion pile. Now we really move to a place where what we need to focus on instead is product productivity, not presenteeism, but what is the person actually producing? Never mind that you can't see them necessarily all the time, and you don't know exactly when they're working. But what are they producing? That needs to be the focus. We need to change our evaluation systems from being able to see these people to being able to see what they produce. And that then requires a whole different set of working, supporting, managing, leading, evaluating, rewarding, et cetera. That's the new realm we're stepping into. And that's why it's so confusing. So what I'm out to do, Jason, is I'm out to support managers and leaders. Let's create that together for you. It's not going to look like it did before. And I know you, I know it's scary because you're stepping into the unknown. So let's, let's, let's do this together. Let, let me help you with that. Because what I've come to is that it requires a whole other le of level of skills as managers and leaders to be able to steward this new world. It requires, everybody's been kicked upstairs. The individual contributors, the managers, the leaders, everybody has been kicked upstairs. So that means now that those managers and leaders need even more support and help than they did before because it's a whole new frontier. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great stuff. And and I think this is going to dovetail nicely into in kind of the some of the stuff that people can do and, and the framework that you've created. And before we kind of move into that a little bit, you touched on it briefly around people, what they would like, uh, you know, what they would like to see in their lives, be able to do live their life and have their work fit into that. I am kind of curious, either practically or philosophically, you know, what do you think is the ideal relationship between people and their work? What does that look like? You may not know this or not, Jason, but one of the things I've done in my life is a fair amount of meaning and work and identity research. So I conducted a large um, postdoc research where I interviewed 115 men and women between the ages of 18 and 80 across 20 different professions. Hmm. And I found when I was looking at what's what kind of what kind of meaning do they do they experience in their work and how does it relate to their sense of identity? When I juxtaposed those two realms, I found 15 modes of engagement. 
Hmm. So what I've discovered is people want different things from their work. It's not a one size fits all. Some people need to be cognitively challenged. Some people need to continually learn. Some people need really strong and a lot of people really strong relationships at work. Some people are really interested in, you know, I have a really, really full life. I, my grandmother needs me. My mother needs me. I really just, I want to be able to do work that's that I'm good at that I can be paid for, but I'm, I really don't need to put my whole person into that. I need to be able to divide and conquer, if you will, a little bit on my time and my energy. So the opportunity for people, leaders and managers, is to learn what is the ideal way people do want to experience their work. Some people want to just, like me, for me, work is a fantastic playground. I want to go all in, and I do go all in. Um, but some people really, they are looking for a different way to relate. And some people don't know you know, quite where they are in this until they really can be exposed to the notion of what work could look like. So um, finding what people really want is important. And But generally speaking, what I can say pretty vividly and clearly is people do want meaning and purpose for sure. They, they don't want to go through the motions in their day and feeling like all they're doing is pushing a bag of sand from one end of the, the warehouse to the other, only to push it back the next week. Um, they they want They want to be able to know that what they're doing during the course of their days actually means something. It matters to someone. And the more the organization can help them understand that through the way they communicate, the way that they reward, the way they encourage connection in the, in the organization and how their individual role relates to and helps them realize the company purpose, the more they're going to get that. So we want to help as leaders and managers, we want to help our employees understand the meaning in their work. We want to connect those threads to the purpose of the whole organization as well, as you said. And you've got a framework in your book where uh, you want to help people find the gusto in their business and to activate it now. And the acronym is Gusto Now. Why don't we just start big here and see where we go? But tell us a little bit about Gusto Now. Okay. So the first thing you have to understand about me is um, I... uh, had the great opportunity in my mid-20s to live in Spain and Brazil. And I was very informed by living in those cultures. I got to, I learned and still speak Spanish and Portuguese well. Um, I ended up marrying a Costa Rican. I, was, I got the name Cortez. We are not together now, but I do consider myself a Latina convertida, you know, a converted Latina. And so uh, I really love the way that the word gusto means something in all of those three languages, Spanish, Portuguese, and English. When I'm out in audience speaking and I ask people, which is not, it's not a common word. Gusto is not a common word. We say gusto in Spanish and Portuguese. But when I ask audiences, what does this word mean to you? I get an an array of responses and they include things like energy, motivation. Somebody growled once when I asked that. (laughs) That's great. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it is right there. But they all, there's like a visceral sort of thing about gusto. So it's like this all encompassing sort of thing when people get their arms and heads and hearts around it. So I wanted that to be the essence of the book, of course. What I wanted to do this time, and this is the first time that I've done this in any of the books, is to actually use an acronym to be able to organize my thinking. And I did that because authors that I really admire and respect, like Dr. Raj Sisodia, does that quite a bit. And I thought, let me try that. So what I get, what it did is, you know, the, the, as a researcher, I discovered I had all this stuff. I had all these ideas that were floating about my head. And I was like, how do I actually, you know, organize these things and make sense of it? So I knew that I wanted to write the first part of the book of let me help you understand leaders and managers just what the heck happened in the world you find yourself in today. So that's the first part of the book, the gusto part of the book. And so as I was looking at what did I want to say, I realized that 
I could say you know, for if gusto breaks down to gumption, um, urgency, sustainability, therapy through meaning, and ownership through purpose. And so I actually broke all that down as this is the kind of what you need to know to be able to get a label in today. So the, the G for gumption, Jason, really speaks to this notion of I wanted leaders to understand that in order for you to be effective, one, you got to fall in love with your business again on a whole other level. You got to put your own oxygen mask on yourself before you can help anybody else, just like they do on the airlines. And two, you got to go looking for, just like you do in your, your relationships in life, what's good and right about your partner again. You have to fall in love again with your partner again. And the way to do that for this lens is to go looking for ways that you can be of higher service to all your stakeholders. Once you do that, now you have vitality back in your own veins. Now you've got something to work with. That's why it's chapter one, gumption. So two is, is the urgency chapter. And that's really where we're speaking to, let me help you understand just what the heck happened in the last couple of years and that we can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, people do want to be able to separate um, they want they want a fluid life and they want to be able to have some idea of when and where they're going to do their work. And they would like you not to assign that to them. Um, so there's this whole notion of the fluidity of that and that, the, you know, this has happened. It's not, it's not going to be returned. So that's really what the, the U chapter is about on urgency. S for sustainability really speaks to we have come to be in a world where this notion of what's happening on the planet is something that many people care about wherever you are on the sustainability sort of scale, whatever your position is on it, it has become a very, very, very chief concern in the world. It's become a business imperative. And so you have to take a stand on sustainability with and through your actions and your words as an organization. Your employees will opt into or out of that, and so will your customers. But the thing is, you just can't not have a stand. And then T for therapy is, is therapy through meaning. So I'm a logotherapist. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'm schooled. One of my degrees is, is in logotherapy. So it's Victor Frankl's existential psychology mm. stuff around logotherapy. And it really puts forth that the notion that we as humans, our chief concern is meaning. That's what we really care the most about. And it's our chief source of energy and motivation. So chapter four is really about helping organizations to understand that the more that you can create a, a culture and a leadership anchored in meaning, where you help people understand what they're doing on a daily basis is meaningful to them, and that what that what they're up to with and through the organization is meaningful, then you've got something to work with. And then the last chapter, ownership through purpose, really speaks to creating an organization that one first is you dis, you you detect, discover, and articulate the company's purpose together. That's a team activity. So everyone understands what is this? Why does this organization exist, and why should anyone care? What's my own connection to that? And if you take it one step further and you really take and you get all of your stakeholders aligned to that purpose, the employees, your suppliers, your investors, people in the community. Well, now you have a, an ecosystem that everybody's rowing in the same direction you need them to go. That's powerful. So that's the first part of the book. That's the what the lay of the land of really what it, what it looks like to really thrive in today's business world. Thanks for the thanks for the masterclass. Yeah, that's good. That's great. <laughs> no, that's great. Great stuff. You one of the questions I had had prepared here was, you know, what is humankind's main concern in life? And I think you outlined it here based on Viktor Frankl, the the meaning. Can you go a little bit more deeply into what that's all about? You know, I don't I shouldn't assume that anyone listening does or doesn't know much about about what you're referring to with Viktor Frankl's work or how you interpret it, but 
when you talk about humankind's main concern in life is finding meaning in it, you know, can you just give us a little more depth in that so we can kind of really try to understand maybe how work can fit into that? And I'd love to. So, okay, let me, a little context. So for those of you who don't know Dr. Victor Frankl, he, um, he was um, a neuroscientist. He, he was a medical doctor. He, um, in his earlier years, he spent his, his life in, in Austria working with suicidal patients, trying to help them with their suicidal ideation. And he learned a lot about, about life and what people needed and wanted from life because of those experiences. Now, just a few years later, he finds himself um, in three or four, actually four um, Holocaust concentration camps during World War II. And that was, uh, that was, he spent three years there. So he went into that experience with a full manuscript, which really became, I think it was Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, one of his, like many of almost 40 books, I think he's written. And they took that manuscript away from him during the course of the time that he was there. He suffered a horrible bit of, of, of experience in that time that he was there. He went in with his wife and his parents and emerged solo. Mm. So um, what he found, what he discovered was that the, 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 the fellow inmates who had something to look forward to after they got out, somebody waiting for them, something to do, a work to accomplish, were the ones that generally had a better chance of survival. The ones that gave up the meaning and hope often literally fell over and died and perished. So he was even more convicted of his work and rewrote the manuscript while he was in the concentration camps. And then, of course, went on to an incredible career to really evangelize this notion of logotherapy and so first you have to understand that if you if you recognize the idea or if you accept the idea that humankind's chief concern is finding meaning, then we say, okay, well, what's meaning? Because it gets conflated with purpose and they're not the same thing. So meaning is registered on, on, on along your values. So what you find meaningful, Jason, might be different from what I find meaningful because our values differ. So part of the reason it's meaningful for me to have a book out is because I value intelligence. I value learning, I value growth, I value, I value empowerment. Therefore, creating a vehicle that I created is meaningful for me to do that. So as opposed to the Working on Purpose radio show. So first, you, you have to recognize that you know, our, our meaning is registered along that which we value. Okay. Then if you look at, according to logotherapy, there are three sources of meaning that are available to any of us at any one time. Before I get into that, the whole notion of, of logotherapy is really what it gets to. It's a, it's a it's an optimistic approach or philosophy to life. And it really teaches that there are no negative or tragic situations or events that happen in life that can't be transmuted into a positive accomplishment, but for the way we relate to them, which is totally our choice. Between stimulus and response, there's a choice. And we can choose to be response-able to these things that happen in life. And that's what I love about that is there's agency there's empowerment, there's possibility in that, all the things I stand for. So of course this yeah, resonates. Absolutely, right? yeah. Okay, now if we stand on that as a platform of what logotherapy is, and then if we look at it, it, it puts forth, we have all of us, three sources of meaning available to us at any one time. One of them is our, our creative contributions, what we give of ourself to the world. I call that passion. The second source of meaning is the experiences, encounters that we have in the world that we find meaningful. Again, it's always going to register along our value system. I call that inspiration. The third source of meaning is the attitudinal stance that we take whenever life throws at us, whatever it does. And I call that mindset. So if those are our three sources of meaning available to us all the time, the opportunity then is to find more constant, continuous ways to experience those sources of meaning. Thus, when we do things, when we give of ourselves something that's that matters to us, that's meaningful to us, 
this is meaningful. This is a meaningful encounter for me. So this would be a source of meaning for me in terms of an encounter or an experience. Having more of these would be a way to fill my tank. Back on the passion front, the more that I can do work or give of myself in unique ways that express me, that makes that is that is a that is a meaningful contribution. It provides that rich, vital source of energy that we're looking for. And that attitudinal stance is, man, whatever it is that, you know, whatever, whatever the boss throws at me, I know I've got this. Or they just gave me a promotion. This is amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour myself into this. I'm gonna throw myself into that. All of these are energizing things. And what happens is when you get people talking about these things, you will see how their energy vibration increases right in front of your eyes. Right. So the opportunity is for leaders and managers to help people plug into those things during the course of their day so that they get that vitalizing source of energy. It will come out in engagement, performance, retention, creativity, innovation. That's a really powerful explanation, Elise. That's that's outstanding. So, I mean, passion, inspiration. What was the third one? Did you say experience? Mindset. Mindset. Sorry about that. Passion, passion inspiration, inspiration, mindset and mindset. So. When we kind of try to take the whole gusto now framework, where how do we get the gusto going? Well, that's one thing. I didn't want to just write an academic book like here, here's what's going on. Good luck. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how it goes. <laughs> so the second exactly. part of the book is, is here's is, all the stuff and right. And this is what you're dealing with here, you know. Yep. Now you know. So the second part of the book is, you know, how the principles of how do I actually address this stuff? How do I actually operate my business to be able to address what the workforce wants today. And so what I did there, and it was, again, the whole book was more fun than I was supposed to have. But what I did there was I put forth about 21 best practices in those three chapters, and I organized them along what has really become um, the the trajectory or the evolution of intelligence. So the, the first chapter, which is now, or the end chapter, which is nurturing through mindfulness, is really anchored in principles that are really IQ based. So in, in intellectual quotient based. So this is logic, rational kind of stuff. And so in that chapter, I was really putting forward things like, you know, you need as an organization to do a human capital process audit and see just what, what are you doing? What are all your processes doing to touch your people? And I can guarantee you some of them are extracting your people's soul, what it mm. takes to apply, what it takes to interview, what it takes to be your performance reviews. Some of these things you're actually are working competitively, incredibly against you. So some of those things were things like, you know, looking at how do, how do you recognize, how do you reward? I say in that chapter, I fully am, am against just a, a high, high performance or high potential sort of programs, because I want you to invest in all your people, not just the mm -hmm. few that you think are high potential. You need your whole organization rowing, not, not a subset of them. Mm. So there, everything in that chapter is really around something that you could qualify as rational or logical. So then the next chapter then builds on the next kind of intelligence that came after IQ. And that's, of course, emotional intelligence. You cannot pick up a business book today or a leadership book today without hearing about the importance of cultivating emotional intelligence. Critical. So in that chapter, of course, I talk about becoming a caring leader, looking for what does your person want in their overall life? How does work fit with that? How can you help create that with them? Um, how can you, how can you, inject how can you encourage them to find passion in the workplace even if, if it's a passion project that is even related to your product or service just getting them turned on to yeah. passion is actually good for you 
um, this notion of being, you know, being able to meaningfully connect your people through diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And what this speaks to, Jason, is really everybody in the organization, all the leaders reaching across the aisle to everybody, welcoming, wanting them, cherishing those individuals, looking for what's special, different, magical about you. Where'd you come from? What'd you learn? What does your culture teach you? How, what can I learn from you? That's all part of creating a really beautiful, sticky, connected place that people want to be in. So that's what the emotional intelligence chapter is about. And of course, I feature uh, one of my heroes, Bob Chapman, who's the CEO of Barry Waymiller. He is uh, one of my testimonials as well. He is the walking, talking billboard for the caring leader. So that's chapter, that's the, 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 the second one, which is the, the O, that's opening the heart. And then the last chapter, um, this is where I get to step out in front of the herd a little bit. Introduce <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and introduce the, the, the idea of spiritual intelligence, which, believe it or not, is actually being bantied about in, in certain business realms. Okay. Uh, spiritual intelligence is in some places being measured. And let me now situate what I mean by spiritual intelligence. It's not related to necessarily a religious dogma. Really, what it speaks to are what... Abraham Maslow might call those higher B values. So that's compassion, that's peace, love, joy, awe, all those kinds of things that are really elevated sort of ways of being in the world. They're more evolved. Um, and they and they really speak to being being aware of your connection to something larger, whatever that is, whether it's the greater world, the universe, whatever it is. So that's what the that last chapter focuses on. So of course, that's about, articulating your company's purpose and making sure everyone's vitally connected to that, understand its heartbeat, take it the next step and help your employees discover their own individual purpose. And then if they are able to find a way to align that with the other organizations, that's just a double win. And it also, it speaks to being able to really, really add that layer of beauty inside your organization where you're looking for ways, extended novel ways to be able to better serve or add value to your stakeholders, all your stakeholders. And then the last little bit there, Jason, I really kind of went out as an author. This is where your words pick you up and carry you along and continue the writing without you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the last segment did. It's really on reaching for centropy, which is really, really reaching as an organization for the recognition, the connection that you as an organization are a vital ecosystem, a living organization, and you're part of this living, breathing whole. And so how can you act in accordance with that to make your decisions? It's about, you know, let me be clear. I totally believe in capitalism. This is not about socialism. But sure. how in the world can we actually serve more so more, more boats rise? And we just we, we can just do more through business. Today, people have more faith in business than they do politics and the church. Well, that's wow. a big responsibility. That's a big responsibility. Yeah, and I mean, it's really interesting too, because when you're referring to the GUSTO uh, acronym to set this up, talking about sustainability. Yeah, if more people believe in business than they do in um, religion and government, uh, yeah, there are some responsibilities that come along with, with us having our businesses. It's not just about making a bunch of money, is it? <laughs> well, and opportunities, right, to matter. I mean, making, you know, we can we can do a lot with the, the resources that come from making money. And that's, that's wonderful, right? So business has so much resources available to them because of their powerful way of, of making profit, of making money. 
Um, and so there's something we can do with that. And so when you think about what do you want to do with your one precious life? Well, an organization has a tremendous capacity to lift lives, to help address major ails in the world because of its resources and all of those mobilized hearts and souls that are inside of them. Yeah, that's such a beautiful context to put around it all, Elise. I think that alone, I mean, helps me right there just to even think about the work that I do in certain situations. I think that's really a wonderful way. And back to your points about agency and others, you know, and, and how you handle certain situations and a lot of it in your control, right? How we look at our own work has to be something that our attitude is a lot in our own control. I, I want to jump back to the three um, the three parts of the NOW acronym for a second, um, just to make sure we, we can kind of recapture it and make sure people heard it. So the N-O-W under, uh, under NOW, the N was nurture, and we're referring more to IQ, things such as a process audit, understanding how the activities and procedures we have are affecting our people, right? Correct. Spot it, on. Great. In the O, uh, it was open. What was the rest of it? I'm sorry, I forgot. Open, Opening the heart. Thank you. Opening the heart. And that's the emotional intelligence piece here. And that's really understanding our people, understanding what, what they want out of their situations and, and connection between other people. And then uh, W was wake. Wake the soul. Wake the soul. Yeah, this is where stuff got heavy. Yeah, no. So you, so spirit, <laughs> so spiritual intelligence, the connection is something larger than ourselves. And I think we all want to be a part of something larger than ourselves, right? What a beautiful concept, Elise. What a great book. I really enjoyed reading through it. Thank you so much for writing it. I encourage all the listeners out there, go out and find um, the great revitalization of how activating meaning and purpose can radically enliven your business. Thank you for writing it. Really appreciate that. Really appreciate you reading it. It was, um, you know, it is true that it's actually much more difficult to bring a book into the world than it is a baby. Having done <laughs> Well, I can't, actually, I can't <laughs> say about either, but that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> Take my word for it. Okay. I will. Thank you. Um, before we finish up here, um, and I've really appreciated this discussion. Thank you for taking the time, Elise. Uh, I ask all my guests the same question at the end. What is something that you've learned recently? Yeah, I, I kind of reflect on that a little bit. I, I want to share, um, you know, I'm doing this 33 city book tour for the four books that I have out. And I was in San Diego a few weeks ago for that tour. And it, San Diego is a really interesting place. It's, you know, it's so beautiful. And there's like this plethora of amazing restaurants and anything you could possibly want down there is, is there. And the temperature is great. The climate is great. And then they have this one major glaring, huge problem. And that's homelessness. It's the, the number of tents everywhere. It's just, it's, it's just incredible. And I um, was really taken by that. And I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally. We also have a similar problem up there too. I live in Dallas now have for 21 years, but what I got present to um, is as I was, I was there for about 10 days. And so I had at one point, my friend dropped me off in La Mesa and I had everything with me. I had my roller bag and my handbag and such. And I was dressed obviously, but I actually think at one point people mistook me for a, a moving homeless person. Huh. And I, and I, <laughs> I, I, for a second, I got present to what must that be like? Wow. And so then the curious, the, the, the curiosity in me, the researcher in me went, Ooh, I want to go under a cover and see what that would be like. Well, and, and I still am interested in, in understanding that because it's such a pervasive problem also here in Dallas too, of course, any, any major city. So then I'm on a, I'm on a call two days later with my um, inspiration in the cloud people that is an organization or a group led by Dr. Lance Secretan. 
And I was telling them about this and we were, they were saying, gosh, you know, there was a documentary where somebody did go undercover like that. And they did assume the position of being homeless. And what was discovered about that one, the person went in with zero money and was able to panhandle $200 in the course of a week. But two, most importantly, everybody that was part of that person's world who were helping always assumed helplessness that these people could not do anything for themselves. So of course, where I got to was, gosh, you know what I want to do is I want to be able to find a way to somehow maybe build in a layer in my business, that layer of beauty that I was talking about, fold that in. What if I could somehow have some part of my program where I would go into the homeless homelessness and what in my city or anybody that, that was part of my programs, and we found a way to go talk with people and say, hey, what do you know how to do? Are you you're a carpenter? Oh my gosh, that's great. You know how to nurse. You know how to minister. You know how to teach. Okay, well, we need you. And what if we found a way to be able to activate these people so that we could help them get off the streets from their own volition their, by activating their own sense of agency and what they already know how to do? There must be a way to do that. And I bet there's organizations that are doing that. But what I learned was, one, the problem. And then, two, I got turned on to the possibilities of ways that I might be able to find a way to help and to be of service. And it's been rattling around in my brain. I don't know where it's going to go, Jason, but I want to do something to help some social ill out there with and through my business. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's a really great, that's one of the best ones I've heard. Thank you <laughs> so yeah. far. That's great. Um, maybe sometime in the future when it's rolling, we can come back and talk about that. That would be really, really cool. Fi- yeah, okay. finding this this way to use our businesses, our work, however we want to think about this to, to increase, to not increase, to, I guess, make the world better is, is a simple way to say that. But thank you for sharing that, Elise. That's wonderful. People who are interested in the book and your work or your radio show, whatever it is, uh, where are all the places that, that they can go? First place to go just simply would be my my website. My first website, elisecortez.com. That's the easiest way to start. You can always plug in with the conversation there. There's all my my email and my phone number on there. The second place to go is the Gusto Now site. So that's gusto-now.com. That will give you the tour schedule and some other things that I'm up to there. You can always find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram with just Elise Cortez. I'm pretty easy to find and would, and would certainly enjoy and welcome any outreach. Excellent. So AliseCortez.com, A-L-I-S-E-C-O-R-T-E-Z, Gusto-Now.com, and social media. Wonderful. Thank you again for writing the book, Elise, and thank you for taking some time today. It's been my pleasure, my honor to talk to you, and, and great to hear about how you're helping others make the world a better place as well. So thank you for that. Having me, Jason. You're a remarkable host. Thank you so much. you have it, everybody. My discussion with Dr. Elise Cortez, uh, the author of The Great Revitalization. So uh, before we get to the summary, a quick reminder, you can check out uh, the show's website at leadership.voyage. You can find us um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe. That goes a long way. Thank you very much. And um, I don't usually say it, but you can find me, Jason Wick, on LinkedIn. Uh, Jason Allen Wick is the 
URL, or you can search for Jason Wick, and you should find me. So what did I talk about today with Dr. Elise Cortez? We talked about The Great Revitalization, her book. She was inspired to write it after talking to authors over the past few years and talking to her clients and just how they were exploring the changes in employees' thoughts about work. And she thought that this was really an opportunity. She's written a few books, but this was an opportunity where she thought she really had something very specific to convey in her book. Why have people's opinions on work evolved? Well, she said with COVID, people finally got off the hamster wheel. They took stock of their lives, and that is usually caused by huge change. We all heard of the great resignation, right? And she suggests that it's happened because people realized that their commutes, their work environment, the lack of meaning in what they're doing wasn't worth their one precious life. Before COVID, their lives revolved around work, and now people have the desire to make their work fit into their lives. Why do leaders and managers want to go back to the way things were? Well, Elise suggests that it was convenient before. It's more convenient for leaders and managers to have their employees working on their time on their terms. This notion that work starts at the beginning of the week and that we let them go, employees, at the ends of their week. She suggests we need to value productivity over presenteeism. Even if you can't see someone because they're working remotely or hybrid, We need to change the evaluation systems because even if we can't see someone, it doesn't mean that they aren't being productive. This requires a new way of working, supporting, managing, evaluating, and rewarding, and a new level of skills in this new world. We talked about meaning and how people need different things from their work, that people do indeed want meaning and purpose in what they do, and it's important to learn the way people want to experience their work in order to tap into that. We then spent quite a bit of time in the uh, latter portions of the podcast today talking about Elise's framework, Gusto Now. I'm not going to go into too much depth here, but just to recap the acronym, Gusto is gumption, urgency, sustainability, therapy, and ownership. It's really taking the lay of the land and what it looks like to thrive. Gumption is falling in love with your work again. Urgency, understand what's happened these past couple years. Sustainability, take a stance on how your business affects the planet. Therapy, understanding that humans' chief concern is meaning and it's our chief source of motivation. Ownership. Detect, discover, and articulate the organization's purpose together, and then how do we connect to that? We dove in a little bit to Viktor Frankl's work around meaning, and then the now part of the acronym, Gusto Now, is N is nurture through mindfulness, which is really IQ-related. O is to open the heart, EQ-related. And then this new concept under W, to wake the soul, SQ, or spiritual intelligence. So there is your episode recap. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I appreciate it. Make sure you rate and review this podcast. It helps others find it. And until the next time, take care.